Thursday is a big day, and the party is happening at my place this year. My kids are coming home, my dad will be there, both my brothers, an aunt, an uncle, and cousins. It's going to be a big day, and there's going to be a big meal, and there's always a big game. You know, every year, traditionally, there's a handful of of football teams that play each other on Thanksgiving Day, like the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers. The Chicago Bears and the Detroit Lions at 12.30 on Thursday. Go Bears! It's going to be amazing. One of the most exciting things to me, and the things that I really anticipate about Thursday, is the dressing that's going to find its way to my plate. Now, dressing is not to be confused with stuffing. Stuffing is that stuff that you literally stuff inside the bird. A dressing is an entirely different thing. Uh, and I've learned that the ingredients really matter. Now, I've been anticipating this dressing for as long as I can remember, when we would all go to Covington, Georgia, to Granddaddy and Grandmother Cochran's farm. Uh, we anticipated grandmother's amazing meal that she would make, but we specifically anticipated the dressing. Her dressing is still a topic of significant conversation to this day. My mama knew how to make grandmother's dressing exactly like grandmother made it, and my mom passed the recipe along to Chan. So. Grandmother Cochran's dressing recipe, equal parts of cornbread and light bread, biscuits are better. There, there's no indication uh, about how much these equal parts are to be, so there's this note, I think, uh, it, it takes about two cups of each for two thin cookie sheets of dressing. One medium onion. Poultry seasoning, again, no measurement indicated. I think it's about two to three teaspoons. One stick of butter. Chicken broth to thin. It doesn't say how much to thin. And you bake at 450 degrees until it's brown and crispy. Be careful because it burns easily with all of that butter in it. Now. The ingredients make a difference, and my grandmother knew this, and so she would be preparing just for the dressing for weeks. She would save leftover cornbread. She would save leftover biscuit crumbs. She made fried chicken all the time, and so she, for weeks, would save the fat from the, the chicken that she was cooking and put it in the freezer so that she would be sure to have enough of the, the, the chicken fat for the chicken grease. Like, no wonder my cholesterol is so high. I have never had my grandmother's dressing anywhere else. And I wonder, is it unique to the farm or is it a mainstream thing? So I went looking, you know, to the famous people that, that have recipes for stuff. So Martha Stewart, she makes a dressing. Her ingredients are celery, two stale loaves of bread, parsley, pecans, and dried cherries. Rachel Ray, uh, she has recipes, and she makes her grandmother's dressing. Her grandmother is from Louisiana. 
She says one teaspoon of dried sage, one teaspoon of dried thyme, one teaspoon dried basil, two pints of raw oysters. Whatever. So in our text for today, Paul is writing to the Colossians, and he kind of says, you know, it matters how we're dressed. It's almost like the ingredients matter for us too. It matters what we're made of. It matters what's inside of us. And, you know, dressing is a daily activity for us. And so he says in verse 12, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. The next verse, bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. It helps me to remember that I am forgiven. Not only remember that God has forgiven me, but when now it's my turn to forgive somebody else, uh, to know that you have forgiven me, uh, to know that other people uh, have forgiven me. Uh, verse 14, above all, like the main ingredient, Paul says, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know, I, I notice that, that all of these things, uh, they have to do with relationships, like how we relate to other people. And I also know from experience, and maybe you do too, that all of these things, it's, it's so much easier said uh, than done. So, uh, how do we cultivate these things? Well, Paul not only tells us what to do, I think Paul also gives us an answer. Um, verse 15, he says, be thankful. Verse 16, with gratitude in your hearts, sing songs and psalms and hymns. Uh, verse 17, do everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks. Now, I've learned that gratitude, it, it just happens sometimes. You know, sometimes it just flows naturally, instinctively, like, wow, that's awesome. Um, but, you know, it, it's not always that way. Um, so, that we actually need to practice being thankful. Now, that might seem kind of odd, you know, that we need to, uh, to, to practice gratitude. Um, but it's not just something that, that happens on, on our own, or it's not just something that we just randomly feel. Um, gratitude uh, is a discipline. It's a spiritual practice. So, I googled gratitude. Uh, just, to, just to learn some things. And I found this website called theartofmanliness.com. And this is what they said. Research has shown that practicing gratitude boosts the immune system, bolsters resilience to stress, lowers depression, increases feelings of energy, determination and strength, and helps you sleep better at night. In fact, it says, Few things have been more repeatedly and empirically vetted than the connection between gratitude and our happiness and our well-being. 
I, I was reading um, from Thomas Merton, kind of a, a spiritual leader, a monk, really. Uh, Merton says, One of the most important and most neglected elements in the beginnings of the interior life is the ability to respond to reality, to see the value and the beauty in ordinary things, to come alive to the splendor that is all around us. Uh, I read this story by, by Rich Tatum. He was um, uh, talking about his new camera and the time that you know, he and his wife uh, went on this vacation, and, and he took all of these amazing pictures. Well, when they got home from their vacation, um, his wife uh, was, was, was sharing you know, his pictures, uh, posting them, sharing them with, with co-work, co-workers and all. And she would then, you know, uh, share with him their responses. And he noticed this theme uh, in, in the things that people would say, you know. And one of them being, wow, your husband must really have a great camera. And so although he appreciated, you know, that some people really liked uh, his, his photos, he was really kind of disappointed, if not irked, at this, you know, common response that her, her co-workers would give. And so one day, he just kind of, you know, uh, lays it out there. And he's like, uh, who does that? Like, who sees a painting and, and says, nice brushes? Or, or who sees this amazing feat of architecture and say, oh, nice drafting table? Who sees a sculpture and says, oh, nice chisel? <laughs> what is it with this people? And he felt kind of good, you know, after this little rant. And, and his wife would say, well, he says, um, the, the last time that you've looked at creation, when did you say, nice work, God? <laughs> so it's like Merton says, we need to come alive to the splendor that is all around us and, and be grateful. Um, David Siemens, who is a, a pastor uh, wrote a sermon uh, entitled Instruction for Thanksgiving. And he tells this story in this sermon. It was a de- Depression era story. Uh, this man named William Stidger, uh, he was uh, in a restaurant with a bunch of his buddies. And they were just really complaining. And of course, there was a lot, of, there was a lot to com- complain about. Um, they were complaining about uh, suffering people, rich people committing suicide, joblessness. Uh, the conversation got more and more miserable as they went on. And one of the ministers that was, that was in the group with them said, in a few weeks, I've got to preach a sermon on Thanksgiving Day. What in the world am I going to say on Thanksgiving Day in miserable times like these? Well, Stitcher, uh, you know, he gives the Holy Spirit credit for this thought. Uh, and he says, well, why, why don't you just think about people who... Um, have meant something to you. Maybe they have contributed to your life in some way um, and thank them for what they've done. Well, later he, he started thinking about that and he began to remember people that had kind of poured themselves into his life. He thought of one school teacher, uh, uh, an English teacher. Uh, poetry and literature was her passion and, and how she just really uh, made an, an impact on, on his life and, and so uh, he, he decided to, uh, to sit down and, and write her a letter to, to thank her for kind of going out of her way because what she poured into his life impacted his life as a writer uh, and, and as a preacher. And she was getting on up in years 
And so he wrote her this letter. Well, it was a matter of just two days, and he, he uh, got a reply from her. She says, My dear Willie, I can't tell you how much your note meant to me. I am in my 80s, living alone in a small room, cooking my own meals, lonely, and like the last leaf of autumn lingering behind. You'll be interested to know that I taught in school for more than 50 years, and yours is the first note of appreciation I ever received. It came on a blue, cold morning, and it cheered me as nothing has done in many years. Stitcher says that you know he's not a sentimental guy, but he, he found himself uh, weeping every time he would read this note. And then he thought of this kind bishop, uh, a bishop who had kind of taken him under his wing, uh, much like the school teacher, had invested in, in his life, uh, had, had come alongside him early in his ministry. Well, he knew that this bishop had just recently gone through um, uh, the loss of his spouse. And so he sits down um, and, and he writes this bishop uh, a letter of gratitude. In two days, a reply came back. My dear Will, your letter was so beautiful, so real, that as I sat reading it in my study, tears of gratitude fell from my eyes. Before I realized what I was doing, I rose from my chair and I called my wife's name to share it with her, forgetting she was gone. You'll never know how much your letter has warmed my spirit. I have been walking around in the glow of your letter all day long. When I was in school, uh, and I think I've told you all this story before, um, but this is probably one worth telling every year. I, I was in a small group with Dr. Ellsworth Callis, and I remember um, in, in our small circle he shared the story of, of Matthew Henry and about how one day um, Matthew Henry, who had this discipline of gratitude, every evening he would write three or four things in his journal that he was grateful for from the day that he had just lived. Well, this one particular day, uh, he had, had been robbed. And uh, this is what he wrote in his journal that evening. I'm thankful that I've never been robbed before. I'm thankful that they took my purse and not my life. I'm thankful that they didn't take much because I didn't have much. I'm thankful that I was the one robbed and not the robber. Gratitude. Thanksgiving Day. My prayer is that we'll notice what's in our dressing on Thursday and that we'll remember the ingredients really matter. Amen.